Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 58, entitled, Transformation. Hello, welcome back to our midweek study. Sorry for uh, such a long hiatus. Uh, we have been in Israel, traveling to Israel over the past three weeks. We went to Jordan, to Israel, to Greece. We did a lot of things, Val and I did, and took a big group here from here, including Winter Texans and others, and so we just had a great time. It was fabulous to be able to go back over there. I've uh, been trying to go since 2019, actually since 2020, which you know what happened in 2020. It shut us down for 2020, shut us down for 2021, and then here we are 2022, and we got to go, and it was great. The only bad thing was is that it's very crowded because they're trying to catch up. The tour, tourism industry over there is a big deal. Lots of people have been waiting to go just like us, and so it was crowded. Not bad, but it was crowded. Uh, if you would like to go with us, we're going to go again. We're, we're going to be getting a group together for 2024. It'll probably be October, the end of October 2024, first week or two of uh, November. Uh, we are going to be taking a trip in 2023, God willing, back to the some of the area, but not to Israel. We're going to be going on what, we, what we're calling the Footsteps of Paul uh, tour. We're going to be going through the, the whole Aegean Sea, Turkey, I mean, Asia Minor and Greece, the areas where Paul started churches, part of that, six or seven days of that are going to also be a cruise and uh, going to be a great time. That's this coming fall, October 23rd. This is just a commercial. Uh, we're going to be, uh, I think we leave the 18th of October. If you're interested, you can call our church office or you can come by and get a, a uh, handout we have here on a bulletin board in the fellowship hall. Find out more about it. Uh, we would love to have you go. Uh, none of these things are cheap, and so you need to consider that. Uh, but it is going to be, it's, it's life-changing, really, especially go to Israel. So, so with all that being said, here we are. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're down to the last two chapters, and we're ready to, to launch off into our midweek study. Chapter 15, we're going to be in verses uh, 1 through 11 here in, in just a bit. And so you can go ahead and turn your Bible there. I'm already there, and so while you're turning, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. So let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have allowed us to do such great things like travel and see the Bible lands, but we don't have to see them to know that you're true, know that your word is true. Uh, it's just a nice privilege. God, we thank you for that privilege, and we pray, God, that you, through your spirit, would open our eyes to your truth, all that you're saying to us, all that you have said, will say uh, to us. God, help us to hear you, help us to obey you. Uh, faithfully. Thank you again for these that faithfully listen, faithfully watch. God, we pray your, your hand over these Bible studies. God, since, since it's not something that is of me or is of Island Baptist Church, instead it is just simply proclaiming the truth of your word that has been with us uh, for thousands of years. God, I pray that you'd bless it according to your will into the eyes and the ears and the hearts of people who, who connect with us. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there was a country family that traveled to the big city for the first time and had never seen anything like it, high rises everywhere, and they were checking into this high rise hotel and father and son go in and leave mom and, and uh, younger children inside the, the vehicle and they go in and they're just awestruck by how beautiful everything is and how well dressed everyone is and Finally figured out that they're supposed to go into the check-in desk and and they have the reservations and they called ahead and and they get their key and uh, they're standing there 
uh, about to go back to the car and notice that there is a door. Actually, there's two doors that are silver, and they're opening and closing, opening and closing. Of course, these elevators, they don't know that. They've never seen an elevator before. Opening and closing, opening and closing. People are walking on, and the door closes into this small little cubicle closet-sized thing. But then when the door opens up, somebody totally different steps out. They can't believe it. They're standing there with their mouths open, father, son, just standing there. And all of a sudden, there's this uh, elderly woman walking with a cane, and she walks up to these moving doors, as best they can tell, and she walks through them into this small cubicle, and the door's shut for about 30 seconds, and then the door's open, and off walks this beautiful young woman. What are they to think? Well, the man, the father, elbows his son. He says, son, go get your maw, he said. <laughs> transformation what does it take to truly transform a person uh, i'm amazed at the people in jesus's day who heard and saw what they did who remain unmoved unchanged untransformed it's, it's just i find it uh, amazing to hear uh him the things that he teaches the things the miracles he performed in their presence just just his personage all these things and yet they would go away from those incidents and Basically be unmoved. They're amazed at his words, awed by his miracles, but they themselves, they didn't change. Not, not, not people who were not sure about Jesus and not even his disciples. Uh, not even at his death. At his death, they abandoned him, right? Peter denies him. Where, where's the transformation? This is the old Peter, right? This is the old disciples. Where's the change? There was... They were not moved ultimately by any of these things. It wasn't his teachings, as clear and powerful as they were, his miracles. Uh, they remained the same. Uh, even at his death, they abandoned him, right? They deny him. It wasn't until one particular thing happened that you actually saw them change. And I mean a transformation. That was the resurrection. After the resurrection of Jesus, not, not after his teachings, not after his miracles, not even after his death. They're hiding in the upper room, right? Untransformed. After his resurrection, everything changes. They become transformed. They're totally different people, and they lead out in the work that God and Jesus has placed, has placed them to. So we come to the final major heading in the book of 1 Corinthians, our study of 1 Corinthians. We're down in chapter 15, and that major heading is the resurrection let's let's read first corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 and we're going to spend a little time looking at some of these verses together uh this today so now i make known to you paul says remember paul's a writer of the corinth to the corinthian letters corinthian church and he's dealing in in this in this case in every case pretty much with issues they have a lot of issues and this is another one chapter 15 i make known to you brethren the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, he says, by which also you are saved. And if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you are believed, have believed in vain. It's not just a matter of hearing it. It's a matter of actually truly believing in the truth. So you've been under gospel preaching. You've been under biblical preaching. You've heard the truth of the gospel. That doesn't save you. You have to believe it. You have to combine what you hear with faith towards God. That's what he's saying. Until you've done that, it's as if I've done it in vain. For I delivered to you, verse 13, I'm verse 3, as of first importance, 
What I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures? He's not talking about the New Testament, is he? No, he's writing the New Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. So can you prove to me from the Old Testament that Jesus is supposed to die for our sins? Because Paul could. We should be able to do that. That he was buried, according to the Old Testament, can you do that? That he would be raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, can you do that? Uh, It's in there, both Old and New Testament, for sure. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, talking about Paul, on Peter in this case. And after that he appeared to more than 500 uh, at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, talking about they've passed away. And then he appeared to James, that would be the half-brother of Jesus, who becomes the leader of the first church there in, in Jerusalem. And then all the apostles... And last of all, as it were, to an an untimely born, he appeared to me also, Paul speaking himself, for I am the least of the apostles, who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove in vain, for I have labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you have believed." So he's launching into this, this um, uh, uh, treatise of the resurrection, in particular the resurrection, not resurrection of Jesus, even though he's going to focus on that to begin with, but our resurrection. See what the, the Greeks were doing, the, the Corinthian church who were mainly Greeks, they were saying there's no such thing as a bodily resurrection for human beings, really because they didn't want it. They didn't want to be resurrected. They, they hated their bodies. I mean, the, and I'm getting to where I don't like mine very much either, the older I get. But, but they said, I don't want to come back to this. I, I want my body to be, I want my, my body to release me to this, this spiritual existence that they thought was what God had for them. And the Paul says, the problem with that is, is that Jesus was bodily resurrected, which means, so will you, so will I be bodily resurrected. So, so we have in the Corinthian church a multitude of problems. We had divisions, we have childish behavior, we have people winking at horrible sins, we have drunkenness at the Lord's Supper, we have exhibitionists who are flaunting their spiritual gifts uh, for their own benefit, not for the benefit of the rest of the church, making all kinds of disturbances, and we've been seeing all this going on in the Corinthian church. But the biggest threat to the fellowship was actually none of those things. It was actually rank heresy. Like I said, they're saying that there's no bodily resurrection for the saints? As, as we're going to see, not this week, but, uh, but, but as we'll see in our, in our study coming, these coming weeks, to, to say there is no body resurrection for the saints, for the children of God, is to say there was no resurrection for Jesus, because they're tied together. You cannot separate them. If you believe that Jesus was resurrected, you have to say, you have to say, so will all those who believed in him. Why were we baptized? Why, when you're baptized, they put you under, they let you back up. Why? Because it's leaving one life, right? Going into another. Dead to your sins, alive in Christ, but it also was a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Applies to Jesus, so therefore it applies to all those who have faith in him. So the biggest threat to their fellowship was this rank heresy of not believing in the resurrection of the saints, and it's partly because they were mainly Greeks in their thinking, like I alluded to. Greeks had a problem. They were couldn't help their background. All of us have a background, right? And some of us have to, because of our background, have to unlearn some things. Have to struggle with some issues theologically because our backgrounds have precluded us to think wrong. And this is one of the things that being a Greek made them think wrong. The Greeks hated the physical body. The typical Greek philosophy was you couldn't wait until you die because your body was in their in their minds was just a cage. 
was just a trap. It was a place that, that held in the human spirit, the human soul. And, and as soon as you get to die, it's going to be released and you actually become all that you're supposed to be. They considered the physical body to be a curse. So, so this whole teachings of, of the resurrection of a physical body of a saint was very foreign to them, very difficult for them uh, to acquire uh, but but they're thinking because of their thinking and philosophy. But contrary to Greek thought, the Bible, both Old and New Testament, predicts. In fact, demands the resurrection of listen every single person who has ever lived. Now, hear me again. Every single person. So not just those going to heaven, but also those going to hell. The 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 eternal existence of the human race. Hear me whether they're in heaven or hell, is going to be bodily. That is, fully human. Not just soul and spirit, but also body. Hell's going to be a place where there is going to be bodily existence. Heaven's going to be a place. Eternity's going to be a place of bodily existence. Again, contrary to Greek thought, the word that's used here in the Greek New Testament for resurrection, two words actually, is anastasis necron, which literally means the standing up of a corpse if a corpse stands up, what is it? Well, it's not a corpse anymore, right? It's not dead. So, so very literally speaking of the bodily resurrection of not just saints, everyone. Everyone. So this chapter is primarily, like I said, a treatise on the believer's resurrection. But Paul begins by establishing Jesus' own resurrection verse, in verses uh, 3 and 4. Take a look at it again. For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So there you have it. It's, 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 it starts, first of all, with the resurrection of Jesus. Christianity is different from all other religions, in that it does not just rest on, the, on a set of ideas or rules or doctrine. It actually rests on verifiable historical facts. Uh, Christianity rests on all, all, all of its tenets, listen, on the verifiable death, burial, and resurrection of none other than God's Son, Jesus, who is our Savior. It's very different than all the religions. Let me, let me give you an illustration of this. For instance, here's out of, out of the teachings of Buddhism, speaking of Buddha when he died, it says, they said, they said in their teachings, when Buddha died, quote, it was with that utter passing away in which nothing whatsoever is left. He died, and he is still dead. In fact, part of the tenets of their religion is that they worship over the fact of his death. Uh, let me uh, let me help you understand that. So, so when Buddha died, he was cremated, and they took minute portions. The king of India at the time took my, a king of India took minute portions of his ashes, and he sent them to eighty-four thousand temples and shrines to Buddha, so that to this day. Centuries later, uh, the, the worship of Buddhism centers on the ashes of its dead founder. In fact, one of the things that make these temples or shrines special is that the ashes of Buddha are there. He's still dead. He's been dead. Same is true for Muhammad. So, so Muhammad died in June 8, 1632, creator, of course, Islam, uh, Muslims. June 8, 632, at the age of 61, his tomb is visited every single year by hundreds of thousands of, of, of Muslims. They make what they call the Hajj. 
The Hajj is where, as a faithful Muslim, if that's what I am, I'm, I'm to travel to the Middle East and Saudi Arabia to go to two places. Number one, Mecca, to the, 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 the place where they, they claim that that's, that's where uh, all, all, all things center in their religion. And then they're also to go to Medina, which is where the tomb of Mohammed is. And what do they go there for? They've been doing this for 1,500 years. To, they go there to mourn his death. It's a part of the tenets of their religion, that their leader is still dead. Christianity, listen, begins where the world's religions end. Every Sunday we revisit, in our minds at least, the empty tomb of Jesus, right? Every Sunday we pray, hopefully not just every Sunday, but all the time. We pray and worship a risen Savior. Where, where their religions end, ours begins. Christianity is not the same. Not just a another set of doctrines or another set of beliefs it's completely different the resurrection of jesus is the basis for all of it and as the resurrection proves so many things let's consider some of these things together i'm going to give you several verses primarily out of romans but other things but just for our consideration how important the resurrection of jesus is it proves number one that he was and is the son of god not his miracles ultimately not his teachings ultimately not his personage, not even his virgin birth. Ultimately, what proves it? Here it is, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Who, Jesus says, was declared the Son of God with power. Notice, how? According to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Namely, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It didn't matter what he taught, ultimately, or the miracles that he worked, or even the death that he died, if he's still dead. Very simply, if he's still dead, none of that means anything. He's no different than Buddha or Mohammed, really. The ultimate end of all that and the total difference between all the religions and Christianity is that our Savior lives. He lives. So, so it's, it's totally different. It proves that he was and is the Son of God. Number two, it proves his work of our salvation is a finished work. We're not waiting for some other thing to happen for us to be saved. Notice what it says. He, Jesus, was delivered over because of our wrongdoings, because of our sins, of course. Why did he die? To pay for our sins. So either I pay for my sins or I let Jesus pay for my sins. That's the options we have for all eternity. He was delivered over because of our wrongdoings or sins, trespasses. And he was raised, notice this, because of our justification. Since we had been justified by the finished work of Jesus, the proof of that justification was his resurrection. He was raised because of our justification. How do we know our sins are paid for? Because Jesus lives. That's how we know. That's how we know. How, how do you know when, when you, you've, you've paid the final payment? You get the title deed, right? There you go. You've paid for it. The title deed is a resurrection of Jesus. The title deed to our eternal life. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. So number three, it proves, so number two, it proves our salvation is a finished work. Number three, it proves we have a high priest standing on the right hand of the Father in heaven. How important is that? It's this important, Romans 8. Christ Jesus is he who died, but rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So today, standing at the right hand of the throne of God is a Jewish man, interceding for us 
So that's why we can say with absolute confidence, we're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. I know you're going through a hard time possibly right now. Listen to me. The Son of God in the flesh is standing at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Better prayers than you can ever come up with. You're going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. may not feel that way, but by faith, we can believe him. The resurrection of Jesus proves that. It also proves that we can live holy lives. Romans 6. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. That's a symbolic thing, right? But it's representing something that's not symbolic at all. Literal death and resurrection of Jesus. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead, literally, right? Through the glory of the Father. So we too may walk in newness of life. As much as God had the power to raise his son from the dead, he has the power to enable us to walk in a newness of life. Otherwise, if Jesus is still dead, how, how do I overcome sin if he can't overcome death? I had a problem with sin prior to that. I'm not going to have any better luck with sin after that. But if Jesus is alive, and he is, then I can walk on a totally new life. Proves another thing. Proves that he is Lord, Romans 14. For to this end, Christ Jesus died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. He's absolute Lord. So whether you're dead or alive, he's Lord. He is. Lord over the dead, Lord over over the living, neither neither cease to exist. You don't die and cease to exist. No, you're still existing. You are. You're going to be resurrected, to be sure. Proves that he is Lord. Proves that he will. Here's another one. He will one day come to judge the world. Acts 7, this is a very powerful verse. Acts 17, 31, Paul in Athens, speaking at the Areopagus up there, notice what he says. He has set a day, God has, on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed. How can we know which man that is? There's all kinds of prophets and teachers and great people in the Old Testament. Which one of these, right? John the Baptist, I mean, no. Having furnished proof that which one it is, the one he's appointed, to all people by what? Raising him from the dead. Who's going to be the judge of the living and dead in the end? It's going to be Jesus. God proved that by raising him from the dead. No one else is going to have that power. Only Jesus. It proves, here's, here's another thing, final thing, if you will, at least for our time here. Proves that there is a coming resurrection for all who place their faith in. This is what I've been saying here. There's a resurrection coming whether you place your faith in Jesus or not. Whether you're going to heaven or not, the eternity is going to be a place of a bodily existence for all human beings. There's not going to be an exception to that. Here, here we have Jesus' own words. Do not be amazed, he says, at this, that is that he has power over death and life, for a time is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear it. Notice that's categorical. All. Every dead person will hear his voice, son of man as he calls himself, and will come out. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Now we understand that one, but you understand this next one. Those who committed bad deeds to the resurrection of judgment. In both cases, it's a resurrection. A bodily resurrection. Like I said, the word there literally means is the standing up of a corpse. So you were a corpse in the grave, you will not be a corpse in the grave anymore, you will be alive, and your forever existence is going to be a bodily one. Again, scriptures clearly teach this. So, so we have these resurrection, the proofs, proves so many things. And so back to our Corinthian church and their issues, they had no idea, really, that the 
resurrection. They believed in the resurrection of Jesus. They just didn't believe in their own resurrection. They didn't see a problem with that. They, they, they had a problem with their physical body. And I do too, by the way. I mean, you're not going to be resurrected in this. Sick, grows old, gets tired, has problems, other things. In many cases, yeah, I don't want, I don't want that body back either. That's what they saw. They didn't understand the, the, the caliber, the quality of what it meant to be resurrected. So, so they did, but they also didn't understand that when they were saying that they weren't being resurrected, that they were also saying effectively that Jesus wasn't resurrected because they're tied together. If you believe that Jesus was resurrected, you have to, you have to say we will too, because whatever happens to him is going to happen to us. So he died to sin, right? He took sin away. So that's exactly what we're trusting him to do when we're placing our faith on his death and resurrection to take our sins away. So, so he died, taking away your sins, right? Paying for your sins. He was raised to prove that you're going to live forever, bodily, physically. So, so they believed in his resurrection, but it, it, in, and they knew it wasn't until after that resurrection that anything ultimately changed. Again, Jesus' miracles, even his death, didn't transform anybody. Disciples went, right, we're headed back to their old lives. But after his resurrection, everything changed. Fearful followers were transformed into bold witnesses. Skeptical James, look at verse 7 here, we're back to 1 Corinthians 15. Skeptical James, that's the half-brother of Jesus, right? Says, then he, Jesus, appeared to James, then to all the apostles. James becomes the leader of the New Testament church over Peter, over John, over the apostles. These guys are apostles, they're, they're sent out ultimately. So the first church, Jesus' half-brother, who doubted him, Doubted that Jesus was a Savior his entire life is transformed. What happened? The resurrected Jesus, whom James saw die, appeared to him. Totally changed his life. Paul the persecutor was transformed into one of the most persecuted. Wow. Transformation. The fact that the Corinthians were even able to hear or read or understand the, the message of this letter is evidence of the transformation of the resurrection. Remember what, what Paul had to say about the church, what it had been back in 1 Corinthians, what was it, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 and 11? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such, notice, were some of you. Were. What happened to them? They were transformed. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. The resurrection power of Jesus changed them. Not just doctrines. Not just teachings. Not just new uh, tenets or ideas. No, the power of God through the resurrection of Jesus, who raised Jesus to life, has also raised us spiritually and ultimately physically, which is yet to come. So it wasn't anything other than the risen Savior who had done those things. It wasn't his teachings that transformed him. It wasn't a new doctrine. It was the resurrection power of Christ. In fact, the Bible says plainly that if we don't believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that God raised Jesus, we can't be saved. Reminded this... Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everything else in the resurrection. 
So he died. How is he different than Muhammad? How is he different than Buddha? How is he different than any of these other concocted religions? How is he different? How is Christianity different? It's not. If he hasn't been raised, but if he has been raised, well, then all those religions go away. You only have one. One that comes to God, that, that you can get to God. And that's through God's risen Son, Jesus, who stands ready to save everyone who will place their faith in Him. Have you believed Him? Have you trusted Him? You need to do that right now. That hasn't happened in your life. You need to right now do exactly what that verse says. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And you'll be saved. Upon the Word of God, you got it. Praise God for the transformation that comes by a result of Jesus' resurrection. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus, not just to give us another set of rules, another religion, another set of hoops to jump through. Instead, you came with real power, real salvation, real forgiveness of sins, real life with you, and that was communicated to us through the death, ultimately the resurrection of your son Jesus, who is our Savior today, standing at your right hand, interceding for us, ready to save to the uttermost all those who come to God through him. Thank you, Jesus, for that truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.